us to think about the great example that is given to us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ as he suffered on the cross for us. Certainly the Bible teaches us that Jesus is to be our role model. We are to fashion our lives after him. We are to look to him as the instructor for how we are to live. And in that instruction, there is nothing more powerful than Jesus' going to the cross. One of those incredible verses in the Bible is Luke 9.23, where Jesus said, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Discipleship is epitomized in the Word of God as cross-bearing. Each of us has a cross to bear. And we follow the Lord Jesus Christ as we willingly, each day, take upon us the cross that we are to bear as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Philippians, that great passage that depicts the suffering of the Lord Jesus starts with the admonition, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Have the same attitude that Jesus had. Our call to worship is actually the theme verse for our meditation this morning. So if you turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, we have this admonition. 1 Peter 2, 21. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow in his steps. We, as Christians, are called to follow Christ's example in suffering. We are called. We've been set apart established by God for the intent that we follow Christ's example in sufferings. This morning, I want to take an overview of 1 Peter. We went through 1 Peter as a congregation on Sunday evenings. I know not everyone attends the evening service. But as we did that, there were some thoughts that profoundly affected me as I, as I thought about 1 Peter and the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ, and how we are to model or reflect the model of the Lord Jesus Christ in the way in which we suffer. So three lessons taken from the life of the Lord Jesus this morning about suffering before we take communion. First, we are called to follow Christ's example in suffering redemptively. Suffering redemptively. Look at 1 Peter 2.21. For you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you. The reality of Christ's suffering, all that he endured, he endured for our sake. We know that he bore the consequences of our sinfulness. 
The scripture says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So Jesus willingly took upon himself the consequences of our sin, died in our place. And in that dying bore the guilt, the shame, the misery, the heartache, the rebuke, everything that goes with it. He did it for us. He did it for us. We find in 1 Peter that we too are to suffer redemptively. Suffer, suffer redemptively. Suffer redemptively in two ways. Now, it's impossible for us to actually bear the sins of someone else. Only Jesus Christ to do that. He's the sinless Lamb of God. He's the only one whose life could merit our forgiveness. He's the only one who would have acceptance with God. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He is unique in his sin-bearing role. We cannot bear other people's sins. But what we can do is share in the consequences of other people's sins. To try to lessen the impact that their sin's consequences has upon themselves or their families. Maybe their sin has brought a financial burden. We can help lift that financial burden. Maybe that sin brought estrangement between husband and wives. We can seek to be agents of compassion and restore the relationship between the husbands and wives. We can seek to alleviate some of the consequences of people's sinful actions. And in order to do that, many times it means we need to suffer. We need to be willing to sacrifice. We need to be willing to bear a certain amount of hardship in order to lessen the consequences of other people's sins. Jesus is a superb and prime example of a willingness to suffer in order to alleviate the consequences of other people's sins. And then secondly, he suffered redemptively in order to bring us to God. Look at 1 Peter 3.18. And we're going to be jumping around in 1 Peter this morning. 1 Peter 3.18. It says, For Christ also died for us once for all, the just for the unjust, and now here's the reason. In order that he might bring us to God. The reason that he suffered in our place, the reason he bore the consequences of our sin, was so that he could bring us to God. That he could bring us into a right relationship with God. So that he could take us to be with God for all eternity. He suffered for our salvation. We too can intentionally suffer in order to bring others to God as well. Look with me at 1 Peter chapter 3. A rather curious verse in context. 1 Peter 3, verse 1. In the same way. In the same way. Now what does that refer to? It, if you work your way back in the text, it's 
in the same way that Christ suffered. In the same way that Christ suffered, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands. Why? So that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. So here, wives are called upon to be submissive to their husbands so that they may win them to Christ. So that they can bring them to God. So that they can have a redemptive influence upon their lives. Now, it's very hard for a believing wife to be submissive to an unbelieving husband. You know that they're not going to conduct themselves in a way in which the scripture commands that husbands are to love their wives. They're incapable of it. And not being regenerate, not being born again. There's a lot of trial, a lot of misery that's going to be associated with submitting yourself to an ungodly husband. Why would anybody do that? Well, one of the reasons that's given in our text is to bring them to God. To bring them to God. We can certainly expand upon that thought and ask ourselves, why should we be willing to put up with a miserable boss? Why should we put up with that neighbor that is so unreasonable? Why would we do good to people who do us harm? Because we desire to bring them to God. Because we want them to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. There is an entirely different mindset that is to exist in the mind of the child of God as opposed to that mindset that exists in the world. We are now to look out for number one. We're to look out for them. We're to look out for their spiritual well-being. We're not to be standing up for our rights. We are to be willingly giving up our rights so that others can come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Secondly, we are called to follow Christ's example in suffering innocently. Notice 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also died for sins once for all. The just for the unjust. Jesus Christ died, the just one, the righteous one, the holy one, the sinless one. The book of Hebrews says concerning Jesus that he was in all points tested like we are, yet without sin. He experienced the same circumstances in life that we experience. And yet, he never had a sinful response to any of them. He was holy. He was just. He was righteous. And yet, he suffered. And suffered greatly. Not just on the cross, but in the entirety of his life. Isaiah describes Jesus as a man of sorrows, who was acquainted with grief. 
Jesus knew what it meant to suffer. Now, in a very real sense, we can't claim to suffer innocently because we're not innocent. We are sinful people. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God doesn't owe us anything. We experience grace and mercy each and every day of our lives. No one can rightfully say, why this happened to me? I don't deserve it. Because we are sinful people. But having said that, having said that, we do, however, suffer according to the will of God when it has nothing to do with our own personal sin. Look at 1 Peter 3.17. The verse that just precedes the one I just read about Jesus suffering the just for the unjust. 1 Peter 3.17. For it is better, if God will it so, that you suffer for what is doing right rather than for what is doing wrong. In that sense, we can suffer innocently. We can suffer for doing right. The scripture says there's nothing praiseworthy about suffering for doing wrong. There's nothing that we deserve praise or a pat on the back when we suffer for doing wrong. But when we suffer for doing right, that indeed is praiseworthy. And sometimes we suffer when we do right. 1 Peter 4.12 says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. 1 Peter 4.13 But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. In the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, we share the experience. We begin to enter into the reality. We begin to understand in a small way the sufferings of Jesus Christ when we suffer innocently. When we begin to be rebuked for something that we have not done. When a claim such as Jesus made that he is the Son of God, which was truth, was thrown in his face. When we tell the truth and we're deemed to be a liar. When we are mocked, when we are ridiculed, we begin to understand what Jesus experienced in just a small way. But in that small way, you see, we bear the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. So 1 Peter 4.14 says, If you are reviled for the name of Christ... You are blessed 
because the spirit of glory of God rests upon you. Notice verses 15 and 16 of 1 Peter 4. By no means that any of you suffer as a murderer or thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. Don't suffer for those reasons. Verse 16. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not feel ashamed. But in that name, let him glorify God. Suffer as a Christian. Suffer on account of your faith. People ridicule you because you're a child of God, because you live your life differently. People mock you. Suffer for your, your, your faith when people don't understand why you're willing to give up your rights, why you're willing to suffer to bring other people to Jesus Christ when people don't get it around you. But we choose to suffer because we are Christians. We allow ourselves to be defrauded. We allow ourselves to be taken advantage of. We don't stand up for our rights. When we are ridiculed for such things, it's praiseworthy. We do suffer innocently. I think that's so important to understand. Because people do wonder. I hear it time and time again. Why did this happen to me? We tend to think if we do the right thing, it will always be quote-unquote rewarded. Well, there's a measure of truth to that. It will be rewarded in heaven, but not maybe here on earth. You can do the right thing, and sometimes it doesn't turn out right. You can, with the best intentions, approach someone only to find that they dismiss you. You can willingly Submit yourself to others, and all they do is take advantage of you and walk all over you. It does happen. It does happen. Jesus, after all, did die on the cross. He was spit upon. He was mocked. He was ridiculed. A crown of thorns was placed upon his head. A reed was placed in his hand. A robe was put around him because he said he was the king of Jews. And they, in mockery, bowed before him. Ultimately, Jesus Christ is glorified. Ultimately, Jesus Christ is rewarded. Ultimately, Jesus Christ accomplishes the purpose for which God had called him. But he certainly experienced suffering in doing it. Sometimes we can do the right things. And it results in suffering. Lastly, we are called to follow Christ's example in suffering patiently. In suffering patiently. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. Starting with verse 20. 1 Peter 
For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for you, uh, uh, do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, that finds favor with God. To patiently endure. Patiently endure. What does patient endurance look like? Well, look at verse 21 and following. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. While being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. In suffering patiently, he entrusted himself to God. Notice verse 23. He uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Meaning that he did not defend himself, but he left the defense in God's hands. He did not vindicate himself. He left the vindication up to God. The vindication was going to be the resurrection. The vindication was going to be when every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. They mocked while he was on the cross. And they said, if you be the Son of God, come down from there. Of course, he didn't. He patiently endured. Though they reviled him, it says, though they mocked him, he didn't mock them in return. Though they said evil things about him, he did not say evil things about them. In fact, what Jesus did was intercede for them. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We need to follow Christ's example in learning to suffer patiently. Two ways. First, by making no threats or seeking to get even. Notice 1 Peter 3, 8, 9. 1 Peter 3, 8, 9. To sum up, let all be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit, returning not evil for evil or insult for insult. Not returning evil for evil, insult for insult. Not trying to get even. Not trying to vindicate ourselves. Not trying to defend ourselves. Not trying to prove our innocence as we try to prove the guilt of others. You see, the descending thought, we suffer redemptively. We suffer innocently. And then as we suffer innocently, we suffer patiently. Recognizing that 
people don't appreciate the suffering innocently. Now, notice 1 Peter 3.9. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. Giving a blessing instead. I don't think it's possible to go through this sin-ridden world without encountering at some time someone's wrath when they have said, God damn you. Because that's the way of the world. God damn you. They want you to pay for what you've done. They're upset. They're angry. They're miserable. But notice what the text says. 1 Peter 3, 9. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but rather giving a blessing. In the example of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's when he prayed, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He did not call down fire from heaven. He did not say, Father, damn them. He said, Father, forgive them. We are most like Christ when we can go to bed and pray for those people that have misused us, gossiped about us, mistreated us, caused us heartache, caused us misery, caused us pain, maybe took from us, stole from us, maybe people that we've reached out to and love and they have shunned us or they've taken advantage of us. They've used us. They've manipulated us. How many times have you tried to befriend someone and do what's right, only been taken advantage of? It happens. It happens. What do we do? How do we respond? How do we act? We're to intercede for them. Pray for them. Desire that they experience the forgiveness of God. Come to know him as Lord and Savior. Experience his blessing. So 1 Peter 3, 9. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Look at 1 Peter 2, 12. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, on account of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. 
that they may come to faith, that they may be one to Christ. As we go to the communion table this morning, as we think upon all that we enjoy because of the sacrificial work of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we celebrate the forgiveness that we have come to experience, the peace of God that we know, the promise of everlasting life, of being in God's presence forever and ever. As we think about all the wonderful good that is ours because of the Lord Jesus, may we rededicate ourselves to being more like him. When we think about his great redemptive work, may we long to have a redemptive influence in the lives of others. As we think about him suffering for us, may we be willing to suffer for others. As we think about him innocently hanging upon a tree, bearing the consequences of our actions, may we become more and more willing to share in the consequences of the ungodly actions of others. May we seek to alleviate some of their pain and suffering and seek to bring them to Christ. And as we think upon Jesus hanging upon that cross, with all those taunts, all those ridicules, being spit upon, being beaten, being mocked, who was reviled, never reviled in return, but was patient, and trusted himself to God, praying for God's enablement, praying for God's help. May we cry out to God, pray for God's enablement, pray for God's help, and also pray for the spiritual well-being of those that are causing the very suffering that we're experiencing. In that, we are godly. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your grace and goodness to us. I pray that you would help us to model the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, may we be willing to enter into suffering for the sake of others. Lord, may we be willing to suffer redemptively, innocently, and patiently. Lord, as we go to the communion table, help us to think about those people in our lives that are difficult to love. Maybe someone who's mistreated us. Maybe someone who's just been a real pain. Lord, give us compassion for them. Give us a desire for their spiritual well-being. Help us to model the Lord Jesus Christ, realizing that we have been called to suffer even as Christ suffered for us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.